Welcome to Never Rewrites. I'm Isaac Askew. And I'm Jeffrey Sherman. And today we're going to talk about maintenance work as a flight to safety. So we've been in a you know new year, new things mode, or not mode, but conversations recently, right? We've told you to cancel all your meetings. We've told you about, you know, if you need to start interviewing and we've talked about layoffs. And so one thing that I thought to round out the January flight to or January new things month theme that we're doing. The idea that if you're in a turbulent time, volunteering and enthusiastically volunteering to do the maintenance work at your company is an extremely good career move. And Isaac and I, we would think it's a pretty good career move at all times, but especially during times of turbulence, when a company is shrinking and, you know, they're going to start laying off people, the people who stay are the ones that they can count on to keep the lights on because you need to, the company, if if they're trying to reorganize and keep the light, shrink down, keep the lights on and cut costs, Mm -hmm. the people they keep are the ones who can keep the lights on. And if you're not one of those people, then you run a higher risk of getting laid off, layoffs. Like if you're producing the new expensive version and they sit there, think worried about funding it, that's one of the first things that they'll cut and they'll cut that team. And so maintenance work can become a flight to safety. And usually you don't ever have to fight for it, which is a nice feature, right? Nobody ever is clamoring, hey, let me, let, there, there's usually never a fight to work on the crappy legacy system. <laughs> usually. <laughs> I've never seen it. There's a fight to not work on it. <laughs> that's the stuff i do like doing a lot oh i, I like doing i wouldn't have too. to fight though because no one would fight me for it they right. would just let me do it no one is going to fight you if you right if it you wouldn't have a crappy legacy system if people wanted to work on it it would quickly get better mm-hmm. and so going back to the theme we talked about before of knowing how your company makes money and becoming an expert in that you should know which systems actually make money at your company and which ones are theoretical or, you know, forward looking. And it's quite likely that you already know which ones are bad and which ones nobody wants to work on that also make money. And invariably there, there are those systems, but if you aren't sure, just ask your manager, Hey, which of our systems causes you the most headaches that, and ones that nobody wants to work on and volunteer for that. It's a great, in the theme of this episode, it's a great flight to safety because you are now becoming somebody super useful to your manager. You are taking a burden off of their plate Mm -hmm. and you volunteered. And after you volunteer, you don't complain, by the way, just throwing that out there. (laughs) (laughs) You could sarcastically say, oh man, I volunteer for this. What was I thinking? But don't make any kind of, continuous don't be an eeyore and so <laughs> no you're, yeah no kvetching for those of you more yiddishly inclined and less <laughs> <laughs> classic english or classic ish english literature um so you volunteered you're now on the legacy system and the key thing about legacy maintenance work is that most maintenance work is mitigating issues from data corruption, right? Mm -hmm. 
something happened and now this customer's data is all messed up and you need to fix it. And oftentimes that involves fixing stuff in the database directly, figuring mm -hmm. out what mistake they made, that what mistake happened. It, by definition, whatever that you let the customer do is not a mistake that the customer made. It's a mistake that you made by allowing the customer to do it. Right. But whatever happened, data got corrupted. And people, most developers that in my experience and developers in general, they don't want to be doing this work. And so what they will do is they will mitigate the problem. They'll fix the data. And if they can't quickly find how this corruption happened, they'll just let it slide and say, okay, well, the system's back to normal. I'm going to move on to something more interesting. And that is a mistake because you need to become the one who doesn't just fix bugs or sorry, you need to become the one who doesn't mitigate data problems. You need to be the one who fixes bugs. Mm -hmm. I knew a rather good developer who heroically would mitigate data problems all day long, but would never fix the underlying bug. And his manager you know, thought that this guy was amazing because he's making all this heroic efforts and he's fixing <laughs> the data. And I would look at this guy, I'm like, well, this guy's a total fool because he's mitigated the same issue five times this week. And one, he didn't just make a script to do it, like after the second time. And two, he didn't fix the damn bug. That's why he's still fixing the data. <laughs> he's a firefighter putting out the fire and just ignoring the arsonist just chilling there. <laughs> well, there, there's the different roles, right? The firefighter, there's the firefighters, and then there's the uh, fire marshal. And the fire marshal's <laughs> job is to make sure that fires don't start. Right. Right, and it's a teamwork you need to be, you volunteer to be a firefighter, but your goal is to be a fire marshal. Well, one thing I will say about <clears throat> this, uh, this outline for maintenance work, uh, personally, it has affected me in my role at my current company. Um, I, I don't think I've mentioned this to you, or maybe I have mentioned bits of it. So it's just kind of funny that you highlight it. Uh, but it's basically what propelled me into my current role at this company is I was that person who we would have a bunch of corrupted data and I would go in and fix it. And then when it happened, I would go through and uh, I introduced Sentry to the company and I would uh, see what happened to that point, dive, dive through the logs, find a way to kind of alert and be proactive about those issues the next time it happened mm -hmm. or, you know, write tickets to go through and fix the bugs for those issues um, so every single time it happened, uh, either there was some kind of test in place to make sure it didn't die in the same way again, or uh, we caught it earlier so that the issue didn't creep up. And it was like a lot of corrupted data, which is a little corrupted data. And iteratively, it got better and better until um, our emergencies went from like every three weeks to like twice a year. And when they did happen, nice. they were small emergencies. Um so that plus me uh, looking at multiple, it wasn't just like working on the systems that keep the lights on or the system that keeps the lights on. It was the, the systems. So it was multiple repos that I kind of got really familiar with. Uh, and like to your, to your point as well, like doing things that help out your manager. Um, my manager would be the one who had to fix a lot of these issues when things went wrong because he was one of the few people who knew how it worked because he helped build the original system. And mm. he, was a, he was a CTO at this point. And co-founder, so he he didn't want to be doing any of that work. He had plenty of other things to worry about. So I was the one that was 
always coming in and just saying, yep, I, I, got, I got a handle on it. Don't, don't even worry. So as soon as he got the alert, I was already working on it. And that was a huge relief for him. Definitely and there was helps. the alert that you had created in the first place. Yeah. Right. Yep. So that's, you very quickly, I, I want to highlight this. So you went from the person who knows how to keep the system running to the person who, you know, uh, was able to notice when the system, you created alerts, so you noticed when the system was getting into trouble. Mm-hmm. And then you became the person who could be trusted to actually fix the system. And yes, that yeah. propelled you to be the trusted voice about the system, right? That propelled you. You, I, I think the, the reason that when we opened, we were talking about how you and I think that accepting the maintenance work that nobody wants to do is always a good career move. Mm-hmm. Uh, but especially now, if uh, when your comp- if your company is if you're worried about your company health, nobody's gonna. Did anybody fight you when you said, "Hey, I want to take over all of this uh, maintenance work and figure out why the system is crashing"? Did anybody was like anybody like, "Oh no, no, I'm working on that." No, because uh, like like to your point, no nobody wants to do that work. They everyone likes feature work. Um, there might have been a few people that like that, that were just kind of curious. And they wanted things fixed the right way. We have a lot of people who like they're not content with just patching things. They're like they know something's wrong and they want to clean it up. But no one just kind of wakes up and goes, "Hmm, I can't wait to work in this really old system with frustrating code today." Normally, uh, I do. I, I was like, oh. right, right. We do. <laughs> we are we are those weirdos, right? But again, you don't really usually have to fight somebody for it. It's usually you're like, "I'll do it," and then no one, everyone's like, "Fine, have at it, man. <laughs> have a party." <laughs> Yeah, your devel- your fellow developers are like, you're crazy, but sure, go right ahead. And managers and leadership are like, oh my God, thank God, you know, Jeffrey or Isaac or somebody similar is here and they're taking care of this problem. And we don't have to force somebody to do it and they're going to be sullen about it. Right. Um, and another thing too you mentioned, and this is, I've had a, a little bit of survivor's guilt <laughs> over this as well, but we, we have had layoffs at our you know, current company as well uh, for, for two years. And um, I think this kind of, at least anecdotally, this has definitely helped me stay there because I, I learned so many of the systems and patched up so many things and got so proactive about all these alerts and people came to me for all the issues that started happening to those systems. Uh, and I'm, I'm assuming that's why I'm still at the company because I certainly wasn't the most senior person. Um, pe- people who had been there longer had been let go, and I felt pretty terrible about that. Hmm. But it, it did work out to keep me there because I was useful. Um, so that might there might be something to that too if if it works out for me there. Yeah, I, I want to emphasize something you just said, which is you learned the systems really well. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, you know, before that round of layoffs, when you were talking about the survivor's guilt, do you think you knew the systems better than the people that they let go? Um, not entirely. I think hmm. I just was more a generalist. Like there was one particular system that dealt with money movement that one of the per- people who got let go was way more experienced and probably built half the stuff. Um, but I think that because I could do enough to get by in that one and I had experience in a lot of other systems dealing with a variety of other, I don't, I don't want to go too much into the, yeah. <laughs> the actual services there, but basically I, I could, I, you could call me in for emergency on 10 repos instead of two. Um, and I think that may have been the key there. And even though it wasn't the best at this particular service compared to the person who got laid off, 
they could still tag me in to, to do it and trust that I would do it. Um, but it was a bummer because the person, the, the people who got let go actually were like, I, I, I thought they were just incredibly <laughs> intelligent people who, you know, the, and the system they knew so much better than me. I knew it would be a struggle for me to kind of pick up where they left off. But I think that probably helps too, is just diversifying your knowledge. Um, not just in a few point areas that you're called in at. If, if you can, if, if anything, if any facet of the company breaks <laughs> and they know they can call you in on it, uh, they probably really enjoy you. <laughs> right. That's a great call, right? It's it, when things are, when you're, when a company is shrinking, they don't need, well, they may need, they, the people that they get have an uh, upper hand on staying are the ones that they know they can call in to fix things and they can rely on it. And, you know, not just mitigate, but fix. Yeah. Where if the other, you know, if the people that they were letting go, if this developer who knew so much more about the system, who wrote most of it, I suspect was not great at fixing, you know, mit probably pretty good at mitigating the problems, but maybe not great about fixing them because otherwise there wouldn't have been problems there to begin with. Sort of the existence of problems on a system that you wrote is an indication that you're not great at hammering down and fixing all the problems. Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I don't know every factor that led up to hmm. me getting to stay, but I mean, it certainly felt bad. I got to say, because <laughs> like, when you see people who are more senior than you get chosen and you get to stay there, it makes you, you know, wonder what, what was, what was the differential. And I feel like that's one of them. And also I have a tendency to, um, to sacrifice my own personal life to work on emergencies. So if something happens after hours, like I will respond to messages. And I think some people have really strict work life balances and they're like, sorry. And that probably helps a lot too. If every, no, no matter what happens, Isaac could be on vacation in Mexico and he will still respond to us, which is not a great thing. Yeah, no, I, I don't recommend that. <laughs> but for but, me, it doesn't bother me. <laughs> personally, what I will do is, you know, if there's an emergency, I will probably not if I was on vacation in Mexico because I wouldn't have had my computer, but I would respond and I'll take those after hours, you know, emergencies because they're emergencies. Yeah. But then I would make sure to change the system so that at the very least that emergency could never happen again. Right. The way I usually say it is like whenever something else happens, my, my boss might be like, how did this happen? I thought we had a fix for it. And I'm like, we had a fix for that particular way it failed. And now we have a fix for the new way it failed. And it can never fail in the same way again. <laughs> and every time we're getting better and better and closer and closer to like a bug free system. Right. Yeah, I've met many developers who are like, oh, well, you're never going to get rid of all the bugs, so don't even try it. It's like, well, that's probably true that you're never going to get rid of all the bugs, but also it's true that there's going to be a power tail where, you know, it just a general 80-20 rule. If you fix the top 80% of the bugs, you know, there's going to be like five bugs that are going to be right. account for the top 80% of your errors. And if you fix them, you'll just have so much more small, so much more smooth sailing. Uh, and it usually doesn't take anywhere near as much time as you might fear. Yep. That uh, tracks. It tracks. Um, so coming back up to the top to summarize, if you accept, if you ask and seek out the maintenance work, 
you will quickly evolve from the person who keeps the lights on to the person who fixed the system to becoming a trusted voice about the system to becoming the designer about new parts of the system because you're going to be the one who knows how the, the thing works. Mm -hmm. And leadership will trust you because you're the one who made it work correctly for some value or more correctly. And so you become the expert. And this makes mm -hmm. it very, very hard for them to – they'll never want to get rid of you. They can always get rid of you. Know, <laughs> if the company's going out of business, you're, you can't keep your right. job. But not you might be the last up. one they let go. <laughs> yeah, you'll, you could be the last person standing – but also, if your if your customer screwing up and corrupting customer data costs causes churn, and anything that if you're on the side of reducing churn, if you improve that net dollar retention, mm -hmm. they will love you at your job, and you will be able to stick around. Yeah, it goes back to the yeah the, one of the last um, episodes about knowing how the company makes money. Because mm -hmm. in that in, in the end, there it really it really is money. We all as developers, we want to pop into a company and you know see a problem and fix it and think you know the company's got money from some magical entity, <laughs> a VC <laughs> or angel investor or something like that. Uh, but that yeah. money will run out, um, and it's something you usually don't have to think about in like a lower kind of you know developer role, like especially as you first get there as a junior or something. But if you know how the company makes money and you can position yourself to work on the systems that are the bread and butter that have to keep running to keep making the most out of things. That's, that's your safety for sure. Yeah, exactly. Did you find after, so you volunteered to do the maintenance work, you stepped up. Did you find yourself pigeonholed? Did the, you said they kept calling you for the maintenance and the problem work. Did you find that that has remained your role at the company? Actually, no. Interestingly, uh, I, I think for better or for worse, I became the person that could be like, oh, what's Isaac doing? Okay, he's, he's, just, he's wrapping that up. Let's throw him on this um, because we know he can handle Like so far, everything we've thrown at him, he can handle. So they ended up putting me on two greenfield projects that were not related to maintenance at all after I did some of the, the maintenance work. Hmm. Um, because they were like, oh, well, he can, he'll figure, he'll figure out a way to get it done. <laughs> That's what Isaac does. We throw him problems and he can figure them out. So whether it's a system that currently exists that needs to get better, or it's a brand new customer problem that needs a brand new solution. Mm -hmm. Um, they've, they've at least picked me for that for the last two projects to, to help out with. So, so far not pitch and hold myself. Awesome. Yeah. I've also found that to be the case where. If nothing else, because you are fixing bugs, the amount of maintenance work is just going to collapse and everyone is going to have more time and more ability to do things. And you will get credit for it and you will also get, you'll get credit, you'll get respect, and then you'll have so much more free time because you've destroyed that old job that you'll get to right. do new things. Like they can't even pigeonhole you on maintenance work because there will be no more maintenance work. Right. And the cool thing, uh, I feel like, so so for example, as I started fixing some of these systems and causing them to crash less, there was more free time, like you're mentioning, to, to do other things. And that ended up 
kind of like trickling down to the next frustrating problem and I would fix that one. And then after a while, I started shadowing a couple of people, uh, some of the operations team to see like, what's your biggest, like every day we're like, uh, what's the thing you hate to work on or the thing that when it breaks is the biggest problem for you. And after I shadowed them, I got some other ideas from them. I found some things, for example, one person was just inserting a bunch of records manually from a spreadsheet. And I was like, well, we can automate that. <laughs> we can automate, automate inserts from a spreadsheet. And so I automated that. I made like this uh, script to do part of that. Uh, and that saved them a ton of time. And they're happy about that. Um, I found out there was a ton of lost time on this other dashboard where people were like uh, basically clicking into certain records thinking they could change them. But they were all like things that were inaccessible or for the time being you had to kind of punt them. And so I basically just hid those for the time being to make it to where like the, the dashboard view you got was more concise with just actionable items and mm. not wasting all your time with things you can't even affect. And so it became just like a cascading effect of like, who today can I make their problem less of an issue? Uh, and it ended up being like people just being very happy <laughs> that their 40 hour work week that was like 30 hours of a bunch of really monotonous work could be somewhat alleviated by just pulling in a developer and kind of thinking about the problem. It's not always the case because occasionally you have to do, you know, there's a point where like you, you, you whittle down a lot of that maintenance work and then it becomes more profitable to focus on the new aspects and avenues of customers than it does. So you to mitigate your own like costs for operations. Right. Um, a lot of diminishing returns. Right. But um, until you get to that point, you uh, not only make yourself useful, like a, a lot of departments in the company will be happy. <laughs> like Isaac, oh yeah, I remember Isaac, he came in and like eliminated 40 hours worth of work this week for me. I'm really happy about that. Yeah. And you just keep dancing around different departments and seeing, oh, what, what can I do here? And one thing, uh, one last thing to mention about that, I think I, I actually just reached out and was like, as you shadow somebody, you can kind of help them reflect about their process that they may have been taught when they first joined the company. And at the time, that's all the only way they had to do it. But as you have time to reflect on it later, you go, oh, they taught you that because there was no other way. But now that, you know, I see your process, you know, we can change how that works. And they don't even know that there is a possibility to change their current way of working. All right. So you have to, yeah. it takes somebody on the outside to reflect on what are you doing every day? That's that seems a bit tedious to, to kind of help them understand that they, they could be optimized because they're just they're so used to the day to day. So that helps out too. I think we could do a whole show on that topic. Yeah, actually, that would be a really great one. I've got a lot of examples of that one. Okay. Well, I think we should wrap on this. Hopefully, we mm -hmm. have given you something to think about, uh, especially if you are getting nervous about layoffs. This is a great time to volunteer to do maintenance work. And if you're not worried about layoffs, it is also a great time to volunteer about maintenance mm -hmm. work. It's great for your career. It's great for your ability to function as a developer and it'll make you friends with ever outside of development. Mm -hmm. Thank you all for listening. I'm Jeffrey Sherman. And I'm Isaac Askew and this is Never Rewrite.